This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Let's get into the next topic. Tenants and landlords in Ontario are grappling over evictions. There is a huge backlog at the rental board, the tenant and landlord board. Tenants are asking landlords to cut deals. Hey, you can evict me. We can avoid the dispute process. Give me cash and I will get out. Some landlords not in love with this idea. Joita, what do you want to explore here? Well, it's been said of landlords and tenants that there are there are no other two groups of people that need each other more but like each other less. So it is very much in the same vein as uh, some of the more the stories we've heard about the ongoing tension between landlords and tenants. But it is worth noting in the context of this particular story that we're not talking about large corporate landlords. It's not really mm-hmm. feasible, I think, for a tenant to try and say to a I don't know, a Caprit or an Achilles or another big landlord that's operating in the country. Hey, listen, I'll move out um, if you pay me X amount of dollars. And in any case, with large landlord, they can't really use some of the provisions like, you know, moving, uh, asking a tenant to move out so that the owner can move in. So that's, you know, but but it, often when we conceive of the tussle between landlords and tenants, we are thinking in terms of a David and Goliath situation. But here we're looking at, I think, two parties that are more evenly matched. So I think it is worth exploring where in a story that is rife with tension, uh, where we actually come down on the issue, whether we actually want to take a side. And there are some really interesting arguments to be made beyond the specifics of what landlords and tenants are dealing with right now that delve into access to justice, which is a very big issue, not just for tenants and landlords and other people seeking remedies, but you know, for other people as well, people with disabilities going through the Human Rights Tribunal, having to wait yes. just to get some kind of a resolution. So there is a larger conversation that I think this leads into about what access to justice actually looks like. If you are a landlord or a tenant or whomever, and you're waiting up to 12 months to 18 months, to get your day in court, is that just or fair? And if it's not just or fair, then what do you do about it? Yeah, let's put that one to the side for a second. That, that's a little too abstract to start the conversation. Let's stick to the issue on the front end. For years, I have been flagging the issue of a lot of individual citizens buying a condo and then choosing to become a landlord, which is a very precarious, tricky thing to do that puts them in a bad spot. It can also be a very good thing. I had a wonderful relationship, anecdotally, with my with my old landlord who did the exact same thing and we had a great time but michelle i think at the core of this issue and where i land on it if you want to do a cash for keys deal if you're a landlord and you evict somebody and your tenant come back comes back and says well i would like to dispute this and it's going to take 12 to 18 months for you to get resolution here Give me some money and get out. I I think that if this is done in good faith and through a reasonable negotiation, it makes total sense. But when it's just done in bad faith as a stall tactic, that's where it becomes a problem. But I think as as an ideology in an ideal good faith world, yeah, rock and roll. If you're a landlord, get out of my get out of my space. And if you're a tenant, I got some cash to go get into my new space. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it in principle either. But what? 
bugs me and where I come back to and where I kind of land on all of this is that clearly the process is just broken. I don't think that these sorts of deals are generally being done in good faith. They, they, they do seem to be a tactic reserved for, for more extreme cases. And the financial hardship on all sides is, is well, on, on, on the landlord side in particular in this case, is extremely acute. Um, I can't fathom doing such a thing as a tenant. At the same time, I've heard landlord stories that make me think that perhaps in those situations, maybe I would do such a thing. It's So I, I do agree that it could work, but I just don't think it's being deployed that way right now. And all of this is just another of so many indicators that the system for landlord-tenant resolution in Ontario specifically is just straight up broken. I, I just, I don't know how else to put it. There's, I, that's my big takeaway yeah. is that we almost need to start from the ground up with this one because oh, it's boy. just so bogged down. Like it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. But but it's it's not just Ontario, by the way. You, the three of us, talked about an issue in New Brunswick around some adjudication mm -hmm. around security deposits that was leading to mm -hmm. long, long delays. That was in uh, late. Gosh, that last, was my own topic. Too, yeah, last, remember that. Late, late last yeah. year we talked about that. Like there are only really a couple of provinces that actually have tenant protection boards, and even those are backlogged like wild. Joita, before mm -hmm. we enter into the abstract, where do you land on the issue? It's a, it's a complicated one, and there are no easy answers. And I'm going to give you two cases to make my point. The first one is, let's say there's a homeowner, Dave, and Dave owns a detached house in Toronto. Well, good for you. Oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> and so, I didn't order, know we were well, in the fantasy land over here. And, uh, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. So in this fantasy world, uh, Dave owns a, a detached house in Toronto. But the way you pay for your detached house is, of course, you have your income. But let's say you stick Michelle in the basement and you stick me in the attic. Oh wow! You, would you manage to convert into a home? So for a lot of small landlords in in the in that position, host privileged to have actually, a living room. Okay. <laughs> uh, in that position, a lot of small landlords are are leaning on tenancy agreements by by having people in their basements or you know having a, an adjoining sort of an in law suite or what have you to try and pay their mortgages. And we just we say this so often. I'm sick of saying it. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. Mortgage rates are going up, and this is how people are managing to afford to pay those those mortgage rates where people used to get 2.5 3% interest rates suddenly that has doubled you know i'm looking at 5 6 6.5% interest rates how are people managing to keep their homes they're doing so by getting tenants and so if you have a situation where in that first scenario you need your tenant to move out uh, maybe because you have an additional family member moving in or what your whatever your situation is you may not be in a position to make an exorbitant cash settlement on your tenant mm -hmm. as a small landlord. You may not have $50,000 or $100,000 sitting pretty. Now, that said, there's a second scenario where, you know, let's say, which is kind of what Dave alluded to already, which is a small landlord. Uh, so it's not a corporate landlord, but that person is basically hoarding properties, which I think can cause a number of problems in the real estate market. Uh, but to me, there's a, a distinct conversation to be had between do we empathize more with the person here, the tenant who's about to lose their home versus the person who, you know, having an investment property or two or five now realizes in the rising interest rate environment that that's just not economically feasible anymore. And they want to dump their interest rate property and the fact uh, their 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 investment property and the fact that there are ex there are extensive delays at the landlord and tenant board means that either they're not getting a resolution on their eviction application or their tenant is taking that opportunity to make large settlements, uh, ask for large financial compensation settlements. I don't know if I have as much sympathy for a small landlord in that situation because losing your investment property 
is nowhere near in the same realm of unfortunate as losing your home. Every time you move, it gets expensive. Uh, it's stressful. It costs a lot of money to pack and move and, you know, all of that. So I, I do think that tenants have been getting the short end of the stick for a very long time. And there's an argument to be made that in a rising rent environment uh, where tenants don't really have too much recourse when they're facing an eviction, um, and there's a lot of competition for rentals, there is an argument to be made that, you know, if you're able to get something out of the system or you're able to get something out of your landlord, that's that's okay. But we, yeah. again, it's not as I, black and white. Because, again, you know, I, I think the extreme cases cited in the CBC News article of people asking for 50000 or 100000 like it's not representative of the broader practice. No, there, 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 there are a lot of like the uh, finance bro uh, social media channels that actually do advocate for this practice to say, hey, here's a couple months rents, like get out. Um, and in a lot of cases, people will people will end up accepting that, right? So I'm, I'm coming back to the idea in good faith the extremes are always going to be the extremes and maybe where i disagree with you joita and i know it's not quite what you were expressing like isn't it possible to have empathy for everyone like yeah, like, like, like like that's kind yeah, of where i land here like isn't it actually possible to have empathy for everyone that like the fact that there's a backlog at the landlord tenant board affects everybody everyone. in a terrible way and everything yeah it does absolutely. yeah and there's so much tendency to demonize the groups i think joita when you talked about the dynamic is it's so true i have friends who are landlords and I don't love some of the way they talk about their tenants. Uh, likewise, people who rent um, jokes about landlords are about as joke, commas jokes about lawyers. And and the, the, the tension, like that's just the, the most crude manifestation of this very fraught dynamic. And I think Joey is really onto something by talking about the changing nature of what the average landlord looks like. I don't think we can have this conversation in good faith without acknowledging that and why these tensions are so real. And it's... Again, I, I I won't go down my usual favorite rabbit holes around well, civility and polarization and whatnot, but I like Michelle. It, let me let me drop let me drop a stat in here, and then you can finish the thought. Fifteen percent of re, uh, of fifteen uh, percent of real estate sales, personal real estate sales, uh, in terms of personal homes or residences, were made by a corporation in Canada last year. Fifteen percent of real estate sales of single homes, condos, duplexes were bought by a corporation. Right. So this is a story so really they, about humans. Humans, so yeah. Sorry. The other idea, yeah, no, exactly. Though it's the other, it's the other eighty-five percent. That's it. That's a, that's a great context. Shows you exactly how much the dynamic has shifted over the years. And if you're dealing with groups of humans, you're going to wind up with a system that uh, is bogged down by human foibles. And <laughs> this one, I think, is. I, I feel like the, the system we currently have in place is not geared towards the current reality. Part of why I think it's broken. It doesn't acknowledge, it doesn't allow for these sorts of human tensions. It is predicated more on a, a corporate model. And clearly the time has come to revisit that. So consulting time, Michelle, what what's what's nope. better? Like if you're gonna tear it down, what like what's better? Cause because frankly, other than really hiring more people and speeding up the process, I, I really couldn't tell you what's better. I, well, nor do I. I, I. I acknowledge this is not my forte. In fact, I would absolutely be deferring to Joita right now. Yeah, okay. So, so let's do that. So, let, <laughs> so let's do that. Because honestly, I, like Dave Brown Consulting has a lot of ideas. It does not have an idea to fix this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there is an easy fix for this one. Uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind here. First and foremost, 
I do think that the big part of this is uh, hiring and training more adjudicators. It's there's just no getting away from okay, that. Okay, yeah. So that, that's and the baseline. That's the baseline point. That's the baseline. But I think it's a baseline that is important to to keep in mind. I mean, we're partly in this situation because they were understaffed for so very long, uh, but also because of the pandemic and some of the reasons, the systemic reasons that I highlighted, which has caused a real spike, especially in evictions for landlords' own use applications. Where, as I said earlier, you know, investment uh, people are now getting rid of their investment properties or uh, and things like that it's it's caused uh, the the high interest rate environment has really caused ripples in the real estate market and and we are seeing the human consequences of that uh so i think part of this is also recognizing that we already have provisions in the law that you know if you look at the charter uh, they talk about the right to uh, trial without unreasonable delay. Uh, so there is already some language in our in in our existing charter of rights and freedoms that says that you should not be kept waiting, uh, you know, months if not years at a time to get a hearing date in in court. And one of the reasons why they set up these administrative tribunals in the first place, um, you know, like the landlord and tenant board and the human rights tribunal and the social justice benefits tribunal, was to a uh, reduce wait times, obviously, which, you know, we can now argue hasn't really come to fruition, but also to make it more accessible for ordinary people. The other solution that has been floated, and of course, it's been tried out at the landlord and tenant board is to do everything online uh, in the in the hopes that it would also help to speed things up while making things more um, accessible. But that, again, is up for debate, because just because, you know, things are online, making it easier for some people doesn't mean that it's going to be universally accessible. Um, no. I know that, you know, many people don't have access to the internet or technology. So I think it's a tricky one to resolve. Maybe we should have some more conversations about when we allow for landlords' own use uh, applications to be made to allow tenants to be evicted from their homes and whether we need to increase compensation. For example, right now in Ontario, if you are a tenant and you your landlord wants to move in so you uh, get kicked out, you are entitled to get no strings attached, one month's rent as compensation. Maybe we need to up that yeah, to three that, months there rent you go. or five months rent. I think yeah. that might yeah, be a good place go. to start and then look at some of those systemic issues beyond that. And, and that essentially is this practice, right? This practice would say like, yeah, give me four or five months rent and I'll get out. Yeah. Right? So you establish the baseline, you make the baseline higher, it makes it easier for people to actually make the decision. It doesn't make it any less stressful or any worse for your life, but at least at least and it like changes the context. A, and maybe you should pay a, like a base amount for like moving costs. Like Maybe there should be an acknowledgement of right. that because I, right. I just moved recently and yeah. it does add up like yeah. thousands oh, of yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, Michelle, Joita really got into the abstract there, and I think it's worth giving uh, both of us an opportunity here just on the way out the door to consider the abstract. It does speak to the benefit of process, right? You want tribunals, you, you want adjudicators, you want decision makers who can objectively make choices, but it's pretty useless if your quest for justice takes 12, 24, 36 months. So it does speak to maybe some broader issues that go well outside the housing picture, that go into other human rights issues, disability issues, Absolutely. et cetera, et cetera. It does really speak to the fact that we've built a system, we've built a process, but the process itself is so bogged down. Absolutely. And, and you're right to identify that it's across all tribunals, all sectors, uh, even like like certain financial decisions that have to come before committee, all, all, all these things. There's a lot that gets bogged down. It happens every single time. And when Joita talked about the right to 
a process without unreasonable legal delay. That does apply only to courts, and I have always wondered when it's a matter of time until someone tries to introduce a Jordan's principle for tribunal activity. Yeah, yeah. Jordan's principle is the one that that puts firm limits on courts and saying if if your case has taken longer than X amount of time, it's being thrown out. It's done. It mm -hmm. needs to get done before this. So I, I I don't know how possible it would be. But I suspect at some point someone's going to say enough is enough and try to push yeah. to implement something the, similar across at least one tribunal that might set precedent for other yeah. ones. The, the problem is it just ends up costing money, and who pays for that? The government. Like you know, like like that. Yeah, like that's, yeah. and, no, and, we're, and, we're, and we're right back to where we were in topic one. It's, it's like a catch ah, it really is. This like, is the government's just, yeah. fault. The government has to fix it. Well, it's going to take more money. Oh, we don't want that. So, you know, here we are again. We've two topics in a row. Again. I lend being like, oh, well, that's, that's great. Uh, all right. <laughs> Coming up after the break, try to have a little what bit a time. of Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> after the break, let's try to have a little bit of fun because I'm officially bummed out. Montreal has a plan to revitalize its downtown core. They want to create a 24 hour party zone. How would you feel about something like that in your city? This is the Now News Panel on AMI TV. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.